I think, Cody, that in our world that is so dark and so strong in its darkness, the only kind of church that's going to make a dent in a world like this is a startlingly beautiful church. Just running programs, really, who cares? But startling beauty. I remember, Cody, I heard、uh, Francis Schaeffer, who was a prophetic voice in my dad's generation, he meant a lot to me, spoke at the Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization in 1974 in Switzerland. I was there, I heard him. He、wow. said, if we're to see something profound happen in our generation, we need two contents and two realities in our churches. All right, I have on the show today, I'm truly, this is genuine, I am so honored to have Pastor Ray Ortland on the program today. We both share a common love of hunting, of Aberdeen, of gospel, of Jesus. And I'm so honored that he would take the time to be with me the evening for me, the afternoon for him. But Ray, thank you so much for being with me. Great to be with you, Cody, and with all our friends who are listening. Yes. So, I start out the show the same way every single time. And I ask my guests, what was their first experience in church planting? And that could be as broad or as narrow as you want it to be. But what was your first experience? Emmanuel Church in Nashville launched publicly on Easter Sunday of 2008, almost 15 years ago. We had, to, I felt like I had to,、um, in, out of respect for the community, the mission field, and out of Respect out of consideration for everything they're facing, I had to ask and answer a hard question. Namely, why should anybody care about this fledgling little upstart church? Why should anybody drive past other churches? Why should anybody get up early on a Sunday morning? Why should anybody care and make the commitment and get involved? I owed the mission field, I owed the community an answer to that question. And it had to be a good answer. The answer to that question could not be come to Emmanuel Church because that will help me feel successful. That's the wrong answer. Because it has to, out of respect for them, it has to make sense within their own, on their own terms. I thought, okay, we have a very small budget. There's a whole lot we can't do. But there are two things I can do. One, I can preach the gospel every Sunday morning in a Jesus centered, grace energized, gentle, understanding, respectful, gently cheerful manner, straight from the Bible, and do my best to surprise people with how good God really is. So I can preach. Secondly, I can invest in younger men, the rising generation. So many of these guys were underfathered by their dads. Their dads let them down. And here I am. I was 58, Cody. Wow. It was crazy. So I was already a father figure generationally、mm. from the get go. So I said, I can invest in these young men. I can gather them, gospel them, invest in them, treat them like they matter because they do, pour into them as everything I've got, and just be gently maniacal. Every week in moving toward young men, 
and proving to them that they matter more than they think they do. So I tried those two things and Cody and God's mercy, I guess it worked. Yeah. 15 years later, looking back, yeah, I'd say it worked pretty well. God was very kind. I, I always want to say, Cody, the mediocre aspects of Emmanuel Church, that's what we masterminded. The amazing aspects of Emmanuel Church, God just gave to us. Mm -hmm. He led us into green pastures and beside still waters. We didn't, the best things about Emmanuel, we didn't figure out and put on a whiteboard and then have an action plan. I'm not opposed to those things. It's just, there's a place for that. But that kind of stuff never moves me to tears. When the Lord gives a church a gift and there's a radiance upon that gift, there's a sense of wonder. That can move me to tears. Now, the Lord did that in two ways at Emmanuel. We had two breakthroughs along the way. One was in 2011, as I recall, where honesty with one another sort of erupted among them. And we went to a deep place of transparency together. I'm not talking about accountability because that can be coercive and bossy, but gentle honesty and not me being honest about your failings, but me being honest about my own shortcomings and failings. And the second breakthrough a couple of years later was not only being honest with one another, but also honoring one another. Honesty came from 1 John 1, 7. And I, you, before we began recording, you reminded me of that time on a Tuesday night with the men. And I'm not recommending this, Cody. Don't do this, okay? This is crazy. <laughs> I don't know what possessed me. But I felt that we were at a threshold. And so I said, fellas, why don't we do this? Why don't we break up in twos? Turn to the guy next to you. Why don't you just tell him the worst thing you've ever done? And he'll pray for you. Then turn it around. He will tell you the worst thing he's ever done. And you'll and just exchange that. There's some anguish. Every guy is carrying around regret and anguish. Every guy is wishing for some do-overs, aren't we? What if we put that out on the table? and just put our arms around each other's shoulders and pray for each other. The guys did it. And 1 John 1, 7 came alive to us. But if we walk in the light, not hanging back in the shadows of denial, but coming out courageously into the light of honesty, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's where he's waiting for us. Two things happen. One, we have fellowship with one another. It gets real. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He gets real. So honesty became, wow. We felt like we walked through the wardrobe into Narnia. And I'm not aware that during those years, the trust and vulnerability that guys shared was ever violated. We led out into a, some kind of rumor mill. So that was amazing. But also honor, Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. Hmm. Uh, it's the only competitive command I know of in the Bible, and everybody wins. So these Tuesday night gatherings with these men, I would teach, I, I would want to bring to the guys some fresh, how do I say it? Freshly baked bread, <laughs> if I can put it in English. Freshly baked bread, substantive, robust, thoughtful, but also practical, biblical, theological teaching. 
And then we would take time after that. So for example, we plowed right through Roman. We would take time after that for walking in the light, usually one-on-one. Then we would come back together again and all of us have honor time where guys would openly, unashamedly, sincerely, not flatteringly, but honestly talk about the great things they see in each other. And commonly, I would actually have to turn it off after a while because the guys wanted to keep going. Yeah. So one guy might say, okay, Jim, last Saturday night, I texted you when I really felt like looking at porn and you called me right back and stayed on the phone. We talked it through. We prayed it through. And it took you 40 minutes to talk me out of that. And you did. You made that commitment. Dude, way to go. Thank you. I honor you. And then Jim wouldn't take that sitting down. He would, no, I will out honor you because for crying out loud, you texted me. And who does that? You stuck your neck out. You treated me with trust. And I felt so included. I felt, wow, I matter to him. I really do matter. So of course I wanted to call you. So dude, I honor you. And Mm -hmm. that kind of discourse set the tone for the men of the church. And those were two gifts that the Lord gave us, Cody. And I just, I look back on it with wonder and with gratitude. Yeah. I hate to say it, but that's so countercultural to church life that at least that I've existed in, I'll say from my own experience as somebody who's grown up in church, I've never witnessed anything to that extent of being that transparent and not only that transparent, but willing to also in that transparency, then find honor in that transparency. Usually there's a lot of shame that comes with that transparency. In latter years, you can write about how you struggled and how there were people that were there for you. But in the moment, a lot of it is, no, you keep that to yourself. Like you, you pray through that alone with your family, with your wife, with your children, you're transparent in these circles. And so it really is fascinating to me when I was listening to your podcast, You're Not Crazy. That was mind-blowing. That amount of transparency, not only from individual people within the church, but also yourself and the pastoral staff and how much you're investing into that. I think, Cody, that in our world that is so dark and so strong in its darkness, The only kind of church that's going to make a dent in a world like this is a startlingly beautiful church. Just running programs, really, who cares? But startling beauty. I remember, Cody, I heard uh, Francis Schaeffer, who was a prophetic voice in my dad's generation. He meant a lot to me. Spoke at the Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization in 1974 in Switzerland. I was there. I heard it. He said, if we're... To see something profound happen in our generation, we need two contents and two realities in our churches. One content is strong biblical doctrine. Second content, honest answers to honest questions. Two realities, the first reality, true spirituality, by which he means actually trusting in the Lord together as a church, 
living in prayer and open to and dependent upon the real involvement of the risen Christ to make this thing work. Mm. Okay, true spirituality. And the, the second reality needed is, and I love this the way he put it, the beauty of human relationships. Saying hi to one another from the parking lot into the church service, that's a good thing to do. We wouldn't want not to do that. But the beauty of human relationships is startling in a world of rage and ugliness and vindictiveness and division. So strong doctrine, expositional preaching, honest answers to honest questions, real engagement, true spirituality, treating Jesus as if he were real, and the beauty of human relationships. I believe that. It forces you to redefine beauty. It forces you to question, am I viewing Christian relationships or, or relationships with people who are transparently messy as beautiful? Because if we believe the words of Christ and we want to follow the words of Christ, then as he looks at us and says, hey, I'm going to make beauty out of you, we're messy people. We're ugly people. We're sin-ridden people. Like We are wrought with it. But he still looks at us and sees beauty. So how was that at Emmanuel? The idea of not having this organized like bullet point, we're going to do this thing, we're going to do this thing, we're going to do... Because that's so counter everything church planting like <laughs> organization tells you. You need to go out with a plan. You need to go out with a robust budget. You need to go out with a good, solid team. You need to go out with these big things that are happening so that you're successful and that people will want to sponsor you and do all of those things. Now, I'm not, that's not where my wife and I are at in the Northeast of Scotland, but that's the common mentality. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, you know, what we long for, what we, we want to see the third great awakening. We long for revival. We want to see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out and having an action plan and so forth. Having alignment on the team, all these, those are all good things, but they're just limited. They're good things, but they're limited. They're commonsensical. And I don't think the world is going to be startled by a church doing good things that are commonsensical. The world will only be started. In Acts chapter 2, the watching world looked on and said, what does this mean? And some people, I, by the way, I love it when they say, oh, they're just drunk. And Peter says, <laughs> no, it's too early in the day. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, and there had to be a little giggle in the crowd at that point. So Peter was very wise. Humor is disarming. The world expects spiritual people to be pompous. What if we're relaxed and even self-deprecating? A church that, that has more going for it than the latest and the best of what we can do. One of the older ladies in our church 
said to me once, I thought this was so glorious. This is one of the most wonderful things anybody ever said to me. She said, Ray, those, when we planted Emmanuel and we launched out in those early years, I was there. I watched it. I participated in it. But I can't explain it. Now, that's what we all want right there. Yeah, it's, I love that. It's seeing the glory of God yeah. as worked out in our world and in our time and not by our hands. And I think that is one of the amazing things about being a church planter is that you get to experience something that is so beyond you. Yeah. Watching lives transformed in front of your eyes, even your own life. I believe that the church planter, planting a church is for the community, but God's shaping and molding the planter. Oh, yeah. And as, as much as that planter is like, God, I want to see a move in this community. God's, yeah, you need to move in you first. Let's start there. That's really good, Cody. And just having that. There's something that I pray for the city that I'm planting in, and I just, my wife and I both, we just plead with the Lord to give us his eyes and his heart yeah. because it's so much broader, it's so much bigger, and it's so much more fulfilled in him and his love and desire to captivate his children. And it just sounds like when you're talking about Emmanuel and you're talking about those early years of planting the church, that was the heart that you had behind it. The foremost heart wasn't this organized list of checkpoints that you needed to pass in order to be viewed as a successful church plant. But it was a, a grabbing on the coattails of Jesus and saying, let me just drag behind you as you do things. That's good. Cultivate is our primary sponsor here at Temporary Tenants, and so we have Pastor Nick Cady, who is going to explain what Cultivate is and how we can get involved. So here is Pastor Nick. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That is why the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program exists. At Calvary Global Network, we are standing on the shoulders of those who have come before us and wanting to use what God has given us to encourage and equip the next generation of church planters. We have created the resources and infrastructure to support 1,000 church plants over the next 10 years. These resources are personal, practical, and pastoral, and they are designed to prepare you over the course of six to 24 months to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you. Our global team of mentors and coaches have thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches around the world, and we are here to support you as you serve others in the work of church planting. For more information and to get started, visit calvaryglobalnetwork.com cultivate. And we look forward to welcoming you into this global family of churches planting churches. So I wanted to get into, you have this podcast called You're Not Crazy, which for our listeners, if you haven't listened to it, what's wrong with you? You are crazy, I'm going to tell you, but Ray will tell you and Sam will tell you, you're not. 
I'm going to tell you you're crazy if you haven't listened to it yet, but go listen to that. But in that, you guys talk about gospel culture and how it's foundational and how it's necessary. And you wrote this article and it's on your Renewal Ministries website. And I just want to read one thing. You said gospel culture is not an optional add-on. It is as essential to our integrity as is gospel doctrine. That phrase, that phrase hits home for me because I grew up in Calvary Chapel. This is a CGN podcast and gospel doctrine is a huge foundation for Calvary Chapel. You know this. We are founded in solid biblical teaching, verse by verse, precept by precept, chapter by chapter. We skip nothing. We don't gloss over anything. Everything is there. But putting everything into that and missing out on creating and establishing a gospel culture can happen when you're so fixated on one thing. And I want to get your perspective as far as church planting is concerned on how to build a church plant from the ground up, establishing gospel culture and not getting sidetracked in all the other things. It certainly begins, thank you, Cody, for asking. That's a very significant question. It begins with the church planter himself being convinced, not as a strategy, but as a matter of conscience convinced that gospel doctrine, when it's allowed its actual authority, that gospel doctrine does create gospel culture. Indeed, that's the point. Not only people who are well instructed, but people who together then form a Christian community marked by the beauty of Jesus. And it's not easy to preach gospel doctrine, but it's even harder to nurture gospel culture. Go- culture, any culture, is a matter of intangibles, nuances, feel, assumptions, vibe, tone, and so forth. And there is a, this cluster of beauties that the gospel so wants to create in us and among us in every church. And when that magic, by God's grace, happens, it feels like Jesus is there. feels like Jesus has come to town. For example, now here's a great place to begin. It's just so obvious. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So where can the glory of God be seen today? In the Cairngorm Mountains, in the Highlands and Islands, in up Deeside, toward Bremar and so forth, from Skulti in Bankery. Or, and, but I would have to get on an airplane to go see the glory of God there. <laughs> you would have to get in your car and drive. Another way to see the glory of God every Sunday is to go to church. Mm. What does the glory of God look like in a church? The gospel doctrine, Christ has welcomed you. You see, the reason why that verse is in chapter 15 is that Paul is explaining the practical cash value 
of all the doctrine he's taught in Romans so far. And Christ has welcomed you is the message of the gospel. It does not say Christ has tolerated you. Christ on a good day can stomach you. It certainly doesn't say Christ holds you at arm's length. Mm. No, Christ has welcomed you. Come on in here. Here's my heart. Come on in. Welcome. You belong here. Okay, now that's the gospel doctrine coming down from above in a vertical move. The horizontal move is that doctrine. If we'll just allow it to do in us and among us what it's meant to do, all of a sudden we know how to treat each other. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So going to church, walking into church is now a new kind of experience merely saying hi to each other it's a good thing but it's not enough because that doesn't work say hi to one another as christ has said hi to you hmm. it doesn't work there's only one allowable way for us to relate to each other in a church come on in here welcome hmm. into my heart i will be richer and happier with you in my life there's no aloofness, no guardedness, no cost-benefit calculation. We just hurl ourselves into these relationships and friendships together. And when that magic created by the doctrine, when by God's grace that magic starts happening among people, the glory of God stops being theoretical and it starts becoming local and visible. And that's, gosh, that's why that verse is in the Bible, to help every church planter go, okay, let's be bold about that. You don't have to add to your budget. Just go do it. I love that. I love that. It's almost a reckless abandonment of yourself and your own pretentiousness and churchiosity of saying and challenging Paul challenging the church to let go of themselves and say, hey, wait, Christ welcomed you even when you were imperfect. Yeah. Even when you were in sin, he loved you. Even when you were crucifying him, he prayed for you. And he asked his father to forgive you. And it's that mentality, I think, that not only has to shift in a church planter's mind of anyone who walks in this door. Jesus would welcome into his embrace. But it also has to change in our current church system as a whole, as we, we need to have a shift in our mentality of instead of pointing the finger at the world and saying, you're the problem, we need to point the finger at us and say, I don't care about your problem. I have solutions. And the solution is found in the person and character and ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. And it has been that way since the beginning of time. So why not we why not just ask bold foundational questions? What does real church look like? Mm. And it might not look like anything that I've seen before. And and whatever 
move, new move we make will be imperfect because we will be involved. But what if real church includes our imperfections, but redefines everything in the gracious light of the gospel of Christ? In other words, it's not just that we have this doctrine over here and all this other stuff we do. What if the doctrine is above everything we do, coming down with light and sweetness and gentleness and warmth, flavoring everything, everything. So I, if church planters just think that through and dare to think boldly, I think they might have a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I agree, wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Do you think, though, that, that there's a, a tension there? for church or people who have grown up in the church or have been participated in church life, that question is a tough question. To be willing to ask that question of, are, is, is church, is the way I know church the way church should be known? That's a hard question because it's a dangerous question of reshaping your ecclesiology and really chipping away at some foundations that might not be really as, as solid rock as you thought it was. I think I would state it rather differently, Cody. I wouldn't say chip away your ecclesiology. I would say stare at your ecclesiology until you see it. You might chip away your traditions or expectations. But Romans 15.7 shows Christology translating into real ecclesiology. But forgive me for being nitpicky. No, I, you, that is well said, much better than I said, and much more accurate. I think that is something, too, that can be misunderstood as far as understanding that Christ is the definer of ecclesiology, not tradition or expectation. And I think that has been a tripping point as far as church has been as we know it, because certain denominations, certain sects won't engage with one another. Even here where I live, there's some tension between brothers in Christ who worship the same God, who will sing the same songs, will have the same doctrinal points, but one is called under this name and the other is called under another name. And they're not willing to redefine their ecclesiology by Christ and have communion with one another. I had my son's sixth birthday is coming up and we invited all the boys in his class. And I got a text message from a parent in his class saying that their kids wouldn't be able to come because they don't participate in having sharing a meal with those that they haven't participated in the Lord's Supper with at their church. And that grieved me genuinely because <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? This this isn't Jesus on display. And it just, it really broke my heart. But in regards to church planting and in regards to evangelizing the world, I think that is something that we need to have as foundation is that Christ defines those things. Christ defines our evangelism. Christ defines our mission. Absolutely. And I don't think we can never look to him, trust him, and follow him in vain. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if our church plants flourish as much as it matters that our hearts before him have integrity 
and that it really is about him and for him and not about my self-realization. Yeah. Just one final question for you. Why should we plant more churches? Several reasons, but one is that Jesus, the risen Jesus, is on the move in the world today. He is at this very moment sprinting through this world, scooping up broken sinners left and right, and having a blast doing it. And we, and that is the Jesus who said, follow me. So that's the ultimate reason. Plus, church plants are the leading edge of conversions and personal breakthroughs for people. The experience of planting a church and the experience of entering into a church plant is a more precarious, maybe that's too strong a word, let's just say more vulnerable experience for everybody. And our hearts crack open in new ways and at deeper levels because we know if the Lord does not build this house, those who build it labor in vain. That's a really good experience for us. So we grow and we experience breakthroughs and we see conversions at a higher level. So Jesus said, follow me. And we want to see ground gain for the kingdom of God in our generation. I think the last reason I would add is that if you want to be relevant, then if you're wise, you'll be relevant to the future not only to the present. And church planting is pioneering. It's never easy to be a pioneer. But where would the future be without pioneers today? So we launch out, take a risk, plant a church, and give it to the future. And I think that the Lord will bless that selflessness and that vision. Advice for a church planter, one sentence, what would it be? What a great question. I'll just take a stab at it. Enjoy the ministry. Is it scary? Is it risky? Yes. Is it enjoyable? Yes. And why not enjoy it? Enjoy the Lord, enjoy the people he gives you and entrusts into your care. Enjoy the study, the outreach, the risks, everything. Enjoy Sundays. Enjoy your day off. Enjoy being with people. Enjoy the grace of God. Just marvel that, for crying out loud, I'm just lucky to have a job at all. <laughs> the Lord lets me serve him. This is amazing. Yeah. Enjoy it. That's awesome. Ray, thank you for sticking it out and staying over your time. But I so appreciate it, man. I hope we can talk again. Cody, it has been great to be with you. And you're over there in Aberdeen. Jenny and I lived in that area. We lived in Bankery, just up Deeside. Okay. Yeah, for four years from 1981 to 85. So kiss the ground for us, okay? Absolutely. First, I want to say thank you so much to Pastor Ray Ortland for being on the program today. It was such a blessing having him and having this discussion. I can't tell you how much his podcast with Sam Albury has impacted my ministry, my life, my marriage, conversations with my wife and others. 
It's such an amazing podcast that I would encourage anyone to go look it up. It's called You're Not Crazy. It's available everywhere. It's from the Gospel Coalition. So please go check that out. Also, I really appreciated what Pastor Ray had to say about gospel doctrine and gospel culture and how that has to be defining our church plants. As the church planter, we need to look at gospel doctrine and really ask ourselves, are we allowing that to create the culture of the church? Real, true gospel doctrine. And I love that he said that real gospel doctrine creates real gospel culture. Next up on the podcast is Dr. Stephen Stallard. We have a great conversation surrounding a church plant in the inner city, having diversity in your team. And it's just a really great conversation with a guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes church planting and building great teams. So be on the lookout for that. That will come out in two weeks from now. So be on the lookout for that. But I just want to say thank you guys so much for continuing to listen. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at temporarytenant at calvarychapel.com. That's whether you have someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or if you want to know more about Cultivate or if you just want to get in touch and need some encouragement. You're going through church planting and and it can be lonely and, and tough at times. That email is there for you guys to use get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you guys. Most importantly, I pray and I hope that you continue to magnify and glorify the Lord in whatever season you find yourself in. Mm-hmm.